The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. Because we're seeing the strength of the economy and the labor market. Republicans are going to want to blame a recession on Joe Biden, and mm-hmm. the White House is going to push back and say yes, but look at jobs. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I couldn't be more grateful to have had the privilege to be vice president in the most pro-life administration in American history. Over the past two years, the world has seen the radical left's agenda in action, and it's been very sad to watch. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Washington argues over the definition of a recession. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics, just days before an expected negative reading on GDP and a White House trying to get ahead of the news. We'll go to school with Bloomberg Economics Editor Michael McKee, and we'll talk to Mark Zandi, Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. Mike Pence speaking today in Washington. Donald Trump will do the same tomorrow. Is it a forecast for 2024? We'll discuss with GOP strategist Jennifer Kearns and our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us for the hour. President Biden continues his recovery from COVID. White House kicked out a tweet showing him working on the balcony with the suit and aviators and the dog, for that matter, nearby this morning. And then the president spoke a little later saying he's feeling fine. He was uh, addressing an event about the CHIP Act uh, virtually, of course. And he's not alone with this. If you haven't heard, Senators Joe Manchin and Lisa Murkowski both announcing they've tested positive. So Manchin could make life even more difficult for Democrats as his in-person vote would be needed for never mind uh, negotiating a reconciliation plan. Of course, this was already challenged by inflation and growing expectations for a recession. Not that everyone sees a recession the same way. Listen to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on Meet the Press. A common definition of recession is two negative quarters of GDP growth, or at least that's something that's been true in past recessions. When we've seen that, Mm -hmm. there has usually been a recession. And many economists uh, expect second quarter GDP to be negative. First quarter GDP was negative. Yes, it was. And two in a row. Well, there you are. Now, the RNC was quick to pounce on what they see here as a White House trying to change the definition before GDP comes out Thursday. Even Michael Burry, you know, big short fame, called out the White House on Twitter over this. So for those of us, uh, well, I mean, we should hear from Janet Yellen again. This is, again, on Meet the Press with the back and forth. Listen to the back and forth with Chuck Todd. I would, you know, warn that we should be um, not not characterizing that as a recession. I understand that, but you're splitting hairs. I mean, if the technical definition is two quarters of contraction, you're saying that's not a recession. That's not the tech. No, that's not the technical definition. Okay, and that was noted in a White House blog last week, by the way, which got all of this going. Karine Jean Pierre followed up on it, and now the interview on Meet the Press with Janet Yellen. So. The White House is wrestling with this definition publicly, at least, 
uh, of a recession. And so for those of us who are not economists, we thought we would go to school to start things off before we talk to Mark Zandi. A quick lesson with Bloomberg economics editor Mike McKee. All right, Professor McKee, what is a recession? Well, we can tell you what a recession is not officially, two quarters of consecutive contraction. That's sort of a long-standing common definition that isn't what economists use. The economists' uh, favorite is the National Bureau of Economic Research's traditional definition, which is a significant decline in economic activity spread across the economy that lasts more than a few months. Uh, they use about eight different indicators to decide whether or not we've seen that kind mm-hmm. of decline. And how long would it take for them to determine that? It often takes up to a year after it begins for them to know mm-hmm. because so much of our economic data is revised. And so it's hard for the Fed to know exactly where we are at any one time. And NBER doesn't either, so they wait. Professor Mike McKee, thank you so much. I'll bring an apple next time. Okay. And that's where we begin with Mark Zandi, Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics. Mark, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Joe. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking for months about whether the U.S. is heading for a recession as the Fed tightens. But now we're arguing over the definition of a recession. And based on what I'm seeing from you on Twitter, A, you do expect a negative number this week in GDP. And B, it will not mean that we are in a recession this time around. How come? Uh, Jobs. Uh, You know, we're creating a boatload of jobs. I mean, through the month of June, uh, we were creating an average of four or five hundred thousand a month. And typically, you might create a hundred thousand. Yeah. Layoffs were at record low. Uh, I can go through a lot of data, but bottom but you agree line, with what Janet Yellen has been saying? She's saying there's, this is we're not in recession. Correct, because of the strength in the jobs data, the fact that we have such a low unemployment rate, consumer spending, and so forth. I'm not yeah. an economist. That's why I call you. Does, <laughs> does this mean that we were all taught an oversimplified, if not false, definition of a recession? Indeed, you were. Huh. Yeah, it's a rule of thumb. Yeah, I, I don't think that was Econ 101, but it might have been Econ 102, Joe. I'm <laughs> <Got> not <it>. sure. <laughs> uh, but no, it's you know it's a great rule of thumb. Two quarters of consecutive declines. It, that's helped in the past to peg recessions. You know, easy to get your mind around. But at the end of the day, here in the U.S., the arbiter is the Business Cycle Dating Committee, a group of academic economists at the National Bureau of Economic Research, and they define a recession, I think appropriately so, mm-hmm. as a broad-based, persistent decline in economic activity. I'm paraphrasing, so I may not have the words exactly right, yeah. but that's the spirit of it. When you have a lot of jobs, you have low layoffs, you have a lot of consumer spending, income growth is strong, that's not consistent with a recession. This, this is not a recession. And by, by the way, this is a intrepid forecast, and you'll have to have me on a few years from now to prove it one way or the other. But I think this data is going to be revised. Uh, You know, it gets subject to significant revision over the years, and I suspect it will be revised up because there are other ways of measuring the same thing, and they are saying something completely different than the GDP data. The, The gross domestic income data is saying, oh, no, we grew and actually grew pretty strongly, you know, throughout this pandemic, including in the first half of this year. Yeah. You say American consumers are the firewall. How long can that last? Uh, I think it, can, it can't last forever. I mean, if inflation doesn't moderate, I think by uh, late this year, early next, the, the firewall is going to come down and we're going to go into recession. So we need to get inflation back headed south here. It feels like it's moving in that direction. Gas prices are down a lot, you know, mm-hmm. over the last four, six, eight weeks. So it feels like you know, we're coming off the boil, but that's got to happen. If it doesn't, then consumers are going to, you know, just their purchasing power is going to erode to such a point, they're going to blow through all their excess saving they piled up during the, 
the pandemic and they're going to their sentiment is going to collapse and we'll go into recession. So we've got, you know, three, six, nine months. We need inflation back down. Well, having been around politics as much as you have, you know, the definition of a recession that Republicans are going to use in this case, they're going to say, yeah, here's here's the proof. This is Joe Biden's recession. How do you argue with that? It's not a recession. I mean, I don't know how I argue with it. I, but, can, but when perception is reality in politics, this is not an economics 101 or 102 class. This is most people are going to hear Republican members of Congress and senators saying this, potentially presidential candidates. And this is just makes life a lot more difficult for this White House in messaging, you know, going out to teach everybody oh, what's yeah. going on. Right. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Fortunately, I'm just the economist, not the, not the politician. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about the messaging per se. But, you know, look, people have jobs. Unemployment is incredibly low. Layoffs were rock bottom you know, throughout the first half of this year, you know, people were spending, you know, stock prices are down, no doubt, but house prices were up. So people are you know, pretty wealthy. Their, their debt loads are very low. They locked in those previously low interest rates through refinancing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, just uh, for the typical person trying to figure out, you know, what, where they would land in this debate. Yeah, yeah, I don't like paying $5 for a gallon of gasoline, and I'm very upset about it, rightly so. And this inflation is a real problem. But just think about it for a second. You know, everyone's employed. Uh, you know, uh, is that a recession? No, right? As you well know, Larry Summers has been at odds uh, with this administration over inflation, at odds with the Fed, and even uh, with the likelihood of recession. He says it's highly unlikely that the Fed can pull off a soft landing. How can these two economists, Summers and Yellen, both Democrats, be so far apart? Well, I mean, this is a tricky time, yeah. right? I mean, look, uh, recession risks are high. Inflation is a problem. Uh, we we do need a little bit of luck. We need oil prices to keep head lower. That means, you know, the problem, the worst of the fallout from the Russian invasion has to be behind us. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous about that. EU sanctions, you know, lots of different things. And the pandemic, you know, the pandemic is still on, still creating havoc in China, where, you know, a lot of the world's supply chains begin. And that's you know, reverberating back on us. So we need a little bit of luck on the pandemic and on the Russian invasion. And I think actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but I think uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen actually used that f- uh, phrase, that we needed a, bit of, a little bit of luck, mm-hmm. and she's right. And that's why recession risks are awfully high, because things could definitely go through us. And, and that's, those are the known unknowns, right? What about the unknown unknowns? I mean, sure. I have this nightmare that we're going to have a Cat 5 hurricane blow through the Gulf oh, and wipe God. out a refinery on the Texas coast, and, you know, that, that yep. will send gas prices right back over five bucks, and we'll probably go in. Well, so when you're on the knife's edge, that's all it takes. But I'd, I'd throw another one back at you. How about BA5? How concerned are you about another wave of COVID that actually did impact businesses the way it did the first time? Yeah, I mean, that goes to the pandemic, right? I mean, I, I think my sense is people aren't going to hospitals to the same, you know, to a significant degree. And, yeah. As such, I think here in the U.S. and most of the world will be will just navigate through. It's you know not, no no fun and it's going to be disruptive and you know it it just adds to our you know general angst. Sure. But the real problem is China, right? Because China still has that no COVID policy. If they have any cases, they shut down. Shutdowns or shutdowns. Yeah, that's you a still though, Mark Zandi. Uh, lastly, do foresee a, a real risk of recession next year? Is that safe to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think recession risks are very close to even. And, and in fact, it feels like it's if we're going to have a recession, it's closer. It's sooner rather than later. It's not going to be a year from now. It's going to yeah. be you know sometime in the next six months. Mark Zandi, Moody's Analytics. It's always our great pleasure. Thanks for coming back to talk to us on Bloomberg. Anytime, Joe. Thank you. 
And how about the president himself? He weighed in uh, virtually, of course, uh, during an event today at the White House, asked about Thursday's GDP report. Here he is. We're not going to be in a recession, uh, in my view. Uh, we are, the employment rate is still one of the lowest we've had in history. It's in the 3.6 area. Uh, we still find ourselves with people investing. Uh, my, my hope is we go from this rapid growth to steady growth. And uh, so see, we'll see some coming down. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. We'll assemble the panel next for their take on this. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors will check markets and traffic along the way. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So much for the Pence-Trump showdown this week here in Washington. The Heritage Foundation now says Mike Pence couldn't make it because of severe weather and flight delays. They've postponed the whole thing. He's supposed to be talking this hour, so he will not be providing the preamble for Donald Trump tomorrow in D.C. And we'll have more on that later this hour with Republican strategist Jennifer Kearns. This is Sound On. Thanks for joining us. The fastest hour in politics. Now, we went to school with Michael McKee. We talked to Mark Zandi and we assemble our panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors on this whole attempt by the White House to try to, well, give us a different look at the idea of a recession ahead of Thursday's economic data. Jeannie, as a communicator here and an academic, what do you make of this process? You start about a week out here. It was in a White House blog post. Then it came up in the briefing room with Karine Jean-Pierre. You guys trying to redefine recession? And now this week, uh, it's, it's, it's in the air. Janet Yellen talks about it on Sunday, and suddenly it's not two consecutive quarters of negative growth. There's all kinds of factors. Is that going to get into the brains of Americans by Thursday? You know, unfortunately, it's not. And I think they need Professor McKee to get over there and to clarify exactly (laughs) what it is. But, you know, the problem for this White House, and and I think, you know, we can all be empathetic to this, is that they're trying to do two things. On the one hand, they want to empathize with people. And on the other hand, they want to point to the good things going on. And unfortunately, I think Janet Yellen got caught in a trap in, you know, Meet the Press, uh, where she was trying to argue about a definition Mm -hmm. versus letting people know that she understands understands the White House, most importantly, understands and is ready to address the incredible pain people are Mm. feeling. Everything they do, shopping, buying a house, renting an apartment, whatever it is. So, you know, it's a difficult line for them to walk, but they're going to have to do a better job of doing that. And we understand the definitions of these things are complicated, but that's not what the American public are going to be thinking about. Well, and look, I guess most of us uh, learned in high school uh, one one way to look at this, Rick, and I, you know, I understand two consecutive quarters is an indicator and a typically reliable one, but it does not define a recession. Does that matter? 
Oh, I think that this is what uh, they're pushing back on, and 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 certainly the the modern media, excluding Bloomberg, will rush to judgment by using that uh, that standard. That word will be everywhere, right? But yeah, but look, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because. This is the same administration that got, you know, uh, inflation called transient, and that didn't work out very well for them. Now they're claiming there is no recession, and we can only hope they're right. But but they lack the credibility on this, right? I mean, you know, I don't think Janet Yellen made a mistake. I think she was, like, sticking to the White House talking points. You know, we're going to say there's no recession until, you know, we're proven wrong. And they were proven wrong on uh, inflation, and let's hope they're not wrong on mm-hmm. recession. Well, I mean, look, we heard from Mark Zandi, uh, and, and look, maybe he's political in your eyes, but we also heard from Michael McKee, and they both agreed with Janet Yellen, Rick. So it, it, do people just need to get smarter on the economy, or is it the other way around? The White House needs to do a better job telegraphing. I think the White House has to sell. Uh, they've got to telegraph this. They've got to educate the public. They've got to talk about it constantly. This is an administration where, you know, they're, they're, they have the attention span of a gnat. Like, literally every day they change the topic. There's no ability to kind of stick to a message for four or five days and try and bring the public along with them. And they, and they wonder why when the public is asked, you know, about their initiatives, that they're highly critical because they, they get confused and they really don't know what's going on next. So I think I think this administration, we've talked about it many times in the past, has had a inability to communicate to the American public effectively. Hmm. Their numbers represent that. They show it. They demonstrate it. Their lack of success politically lately has demonstrated that. And so the question is, will they get it right between now and Election Day in November? Yeah. And right now, this seems to be the past where they're like, hey, just trust us. No recession. That's it. Well, is this sort of a shot across the bow of of many newsrooms? As I think Rick was was suggesting here, uh, Jeannie, the headline's already been written in a lot of cases. Uh, Recession official, two consecutive quarters. You start talking about this now, and maybe it doesn't show up on USA Today uh, or, or, you know, or on Bloomberg. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the difficult case to make politically is always when you're going to tell people, don't believe what you're feeling, don't believe what you see. People feel pain. That's the bottom line here. It's not the White House's fault. It's not Joe Biden's fault. But as president and the administration, they take responsibility. You know, Gerald Ford wore wore that win pin, whip inflation now. And Alan Greenspan said it was incredibly stupid and desperate. And, And it didn't do much to end it. But this is the trial of a president overseeing inflation of this kind. And, you know, many of our modern presidents have been lucky they haven't had to deal with. Unfortunately, Joe Biden now is having to deal with it more than any president since Bush in 1990. And it is a hard thing to deal with, but they've got to do a better job letting people know they're on top of it. And to Rick's point, having a consistent message that they follow through on, that is critical, letting people know they empathize as well. Rick, you mentioned talking points. Are Republican talking points going out today in advance of Thursday on the assumption that's a negative number? Oh, sure. I mean, I think everybody has an anticipation that this is going to be a, a tough week for the administration. These reports are going to come out and, and Republicans are going to pounce on it because mm-hmm. they they had a clean administration. Nobody was charging recession or inflation. You know, uh, when Donald Trump was president doesn't mean he didn't add to the problem in the last year of his, his administration. But the bottom line is this is a, but they'll a be Biden able to call problem. It the Biden recession. Exactly. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, stay with us. I told you Mike Pence has posted. 
and strategist Jennifer Kearns. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Donald Trump certainly keeps flirting with the idea, though, of course, no one knows if he's going to run in 2024. And I guess we can say the same for Mike Pence, although they're both talking a lot like they plan to run. Mike Pence was supposed to be in D.C. today, as I mentioned, speaking right now in what would have set the table as he outlines his whole policy agenda would set the table for Donald Trump's big return tomorrow. This is a speech uh, taking place at an America First summit that got underway today. Trump will be speaking. This will already happen by the time we're here together tomorrow, so we can tell you what what he said, what took place. Uh, but what was set up as kind of a major duel between the two, of a, a, a virtual duel, is no longer. Pence delayed. That hasn't been rescheduled yet. But at the Turning Point Action Summit a few days ago, Donald Trump, as I mentioned, still going ahead with the idea that he not only won last time, but is standing by to run this time. Here he is. And did much better the second time than I did the first. Getting millions and millions more votes than we did in 2016. And likewise, getting more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country by far. And now we may just have to do it again. <laughs> We've heard that line before. I don't expect we're going to get a line like that from Mike Pence. But how about the timing now? Now Trump sets up the Pence speech. Well, I wonder if that is set up for later this week. We'll let you know. Let's bring in Jennifer Kearns, Republican strategist, former spokeswoman for the California Republican Party. It's great to have you with us here, Jennifer. Is this uh, an opportunity lost for Mike Pence, the whole weather turn here, or maybe on purpose uh, so he could follow Donald Trump and have the last word, so to speak? Well, great to be with you, Joe. I think if uh, Donald Trump were answering this question, he would say, oh, he did it on purpose. Yeah, right. He had the flight. He had the flight diverted <laughs> on purpose. Sure. And I think really, uh, really everything you've set this table for, it, it really does show it is shaping up to be one of the nastier and maybe even more cringeworthy battles we're going to see for the next two years, all up through 2024. Um, look, I, I think it's going to be cringeworthy. The reason I say that is, I think we will see some of the name calling uh, that we saw in the 2016 election where, you know, Trump called Jeb Bush low energy and he called Marco Rubio little Marco. So we get more nicknames. Uh, I think more nicknames and more slurs are to come for sure. Um, but I, I think as much as there might be some some media interest in, in Mike Pence, certainly in the wake of the January 6th hearings, yeah. Mike Pence's delegation is actually pretty small. And here's why. If you look at the popularity Trump has had among the GOP for the last 18 months since he left office. He's had about 90 percent support of the GOP. And at his highest point, right after he left office, even after January 6th, by the way, he had 94 percent of the GOP. Now, that's changed a little bit at the January 6th hearings uh, say that that's cut into his his lead a little bit, mm -hmm. about a third of Republicans. The thing now is, Jennifer, his his impact at the polls with through his endorsements and so forth uh, have Rick Davis, for instance, you know, referring to him as Mr. Thirty five percent. So does he really own the party to that extent? Well, well, he does. If you look at the polls and if you look at the cross tabs, which uh, we do as political consultants and, and some of the numbers that are embedded in there, the America first 
uh, policies ring really true to that. You also look at, at Trump's structure that he has. He's basically created an entire operation that is sort of a, a private sector White House, and that is the America First PAC organizations. Um, they are ready to turn this on and, and be back in the White House, and they're going to be playing in every election now through 2024. Here's also why Mike Pence, I think, will, will have a tough go at it. I think he's fine taking the shrapnel from Trump, yeah. um, but he's more of a Lincoln Project uh, candidate. <laughs> you know, this is this is more of the moderate, Man, super I never moderate. I would, this. You think Mike? So Mike <laughs> Pence is a moderate. He wouldn't. I mean, could Donald Trump have ever gotten the the evangelical vote without him? No, but but here's the thing: politics makes strange bedfellows, right? Well, and that's true. Loyalties change allies change partnerships change over time and we're seeing just how dynamic this relationship is um and i think trump was you know according to all of these accounts we're hearing that he was deeply hurt he really did think yeah. mike pence betrayed him and he's yeah. going to make him pay for does that does mike pence really want to run for president though do you think or does he just want to be on the right side of history to be the face of the other side yeah i think you're onto something there i would not be surprised if mike pence makes it maybe to the first presidential uh, debate, but then drops out and go forms his own pack, he will be a thorn in the side of Trump, no matter which way you look at it. I'm sure he's had conversations with the uh, consultants who run the Lincoln Project and other things. Um, but look, Mike Pence has another person to worry about, and this is from his other flank as well. This is Liz Cheney, uh, another person in 2024 who is most certainly going to get the arrows from Trump. And I think she is most certainly running. And I think really hmm. her opening statement to the January 6th committee was really her campaign kickoff. Um, even though they're not supposed to be politicking from the dice, I think that's oh. in effect what it was. So this will be interesting. I, I don't think it's what's a Donald Trump runway. talk about tomorrow. What's the what, in the, in the space that he has considering the way this has been framed? Is this a policy yeah. speech or is this a scorched earth kind of speech? <laughs> I, I definitely think it's a scorched earth uh, speech. I also think he'll have some economic points in there. Once again, saying, I told you so. Right. Uh, the White House has denied that these economic problems are coming for the better part of the last year. And, uh, and, and gosh, why don't you put a guy like Donald Trump back in who knew how to run an economy? I think that's going to be uh, the crux of Does he mention Mike Pence? Now. Oh, I most certainly think that he does. Absolutely. Um, you know, he, by name and he'll talk about how disloyal he is and he'll he'll certainly get booze from the crowd I, I think that is certainly uh in the offing and 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 yeah he'll talk about you know how mike pence doesn't represent the majority of the party and yeah. guess what how we know all of this by the way joe follow the money right whenever you want to know the answer you follow the money i was in an event with kevin mccarthy the gop leader who's crisscrossing uh, yeah. The nation. I always run into him in a midterm year. We're always kind of crisscrossing states. Yeah. Um, and, and he shared that uh, the RNC, they found out pretty quickly after Trump uh, that he was a big fundraiser. Six All to right. one there is, it is how much money. Six to one. Jennifer Kearns, thank you. We'll assemble the panel next. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. 
You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Bad weather gets the blame for keeping Mike Pence away from Washington today. It was coming down earlier. So Donald Trump will not be answering his former vice president, if you will, when he speaks here tomorrow. And that will be Donald Trump's uh, big return to Washington, we're told, since leaving the White House. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, What do you make of of the change in timing here? If you were actually, you know, helping to advise Donald Trump here, Rick, is is this an advantage in a way that that you wouldn't have if you were following him today? Well, I think, you know, Donald Trump probably never looked at this as dueling speeches, right? I mean, I Mm -hmm. doubt if he gives Mike Pence much credit for actually being able to get out ahead of him and lay down, you know, a, a vision of the future of the Republican Party. So my guess is with or without Mike Pence's speech, Donald Trump's still going to say the same things. And, yep. you know, he's he's going to talk about his agenda. He he does basically the same thing in every rally he, he does. So I suspect this will follow that sort of standard rally approach. Does he have a larger base than uh, some people are assuming? Uh, including, you know, the conversation that we just had with Jennifer Kearns. Uh, or, you know, is he going to end up being kind of a, a fringe candidate here in the party that, that once, em- once embraced him? Or are, are there more Republicans who are looking for an alternative uh, than, than the sort of 90 percent support in, in broad polls let on? Well, I don't think he'll ever be a fringe candidate. He's got $103 million sitting in a pack, and, you know, he's got 100% name ID, whether you like him or not. And yeah. and I think, though, what is telling is how many of his former administration appointees and governors are prepared to go out and start pushing back against him. Uh, and, you know, that includes probably half a dozen to a dozen members of his former cabinet who all think that they should be president of the United States and and are probably willing to stake a position against him, even if he's a candidate. So uh, the lack of fear uh, within the Republican Party leadership around Donald Trump is a good indication that he's starting to lose his uh, reach into the Republican Party, especially as a candidate for president. But you see Mike Pence as having a, a, a base in this party somewhere. Yeah, no question. He came to the table with Trump uh, as a social conservative, you know, uh, great ties. With the and that was community. not ruined on January 6th. Uh, I think it had been ruined prior to January 6th. And I think on January 6th, he probably uh, uh, demonstrated a moral superiority to the president, yeah. which probably uh, uh, helped him with that that community. I mean, we saw one of his speeches in the last two weeks was down in South Carolina at uh, Baptist Church, and he mm-hmm. talked specifically about those issues around faith and abortion that, that really turned that group on. And so he has a unique ability to drive uh, a lot of attention yeah. in that arena. He talked to you, we, we hit this on Friday about how honored he was to work for what he described as the most pro-life administration in American history. Uh, he was also expected, though, to, to draw clear lines in this speech today, and I suspect he will deliver it at some point in the coming days at the Heritage Foundation to say, you know, without maybe naming Donald Trump, that it's time to stop looking back. 
And we've seen that in the tweets that they've been sending out um, on behalf of Mike Pence, that he wants to be Trump with all the positives in terms of policy. Mm -hmm. And I have to underscore, many Republicans are very satisfied with what Donald Trump did as president policy-wise. So he's sort of Donald Trump without all the fuss, without all the mess, and he's not backward-looking, relitigating 2020. He's forward-looking. That's how he wants to bill himself. And, you know, in this speech that Trump is giving, some people are describing as a State of the Union 5.0. And interestingly, Trump's spokesperson said he's going to focus and, and we have to see this to believe this, but he's going to focus on one issue primarily, rising crime and public safety. And in my mind, the question is, can he do that without looking back and trying to once again relitigate 2020? Boy, I'll tell you, relitigating 2020 is, uh, has gotten Donald Trump pretty far, along with a lot of his supporters here, Rick. Uh, the idea of a Mike Pence campaign, however, how long does he have to figure out whether whether he wants to do that or... Is it, is, is it not as simple as waiting on Donald Trump? Could you actually have these two running against each other? Sure. Uh, easily envision uh, the two running against each other, you know, and, and, and many other Republicans huh. like DeSantis from Florida uh, announcing against Donald Trump if he chooses to run. Uh, so he look, doesn't clear the field any. That, that's not in your vision. Look, if, if you're a secondary candidate and, you know, really kind of wondering, is there an opportunity without Trump in the race? Maybe I'll go. But with Trump in it, maybe, you know, there's there's less ability to raise money and garner support in early primary states. Then then maybe some of the second tier fall off. But, you know, politics is all about opportunity. And there aren't these opportunities that come around. But once sure. every four years. And so, you know, you sometimes don't have the luxury of waiting. And I think that's what Pence is thinking. I think he thinks that uh, he's got to strike while the iron's hot. And and the buildup, you know, in the last two weeks, his speech in Arizona around the governor's race there where he posted up Trump, um, you know, his Republican study committee, which is kind of his base in the House, mm -hmm. social conservatives and conservatives alike. Um, you know, that was kind of a rally for his presidential campaign. And then his social uh, conservative speech down in South Carolina. And then, you know, tonight's speech that got canceled, uh, you know, in, in the Heritage Foundation, he he's acting a lot like a guy who's looking for a ticket to run in 2024. Fascinating. Spending time with Rick and Jeannie with uh, actually amazingly some uh, breaking news here from Washington. The CHIPS Act has passed its procedural Senate vote here uh, to be able to move ahead. And, you know, we've been waiting for this, my goodness, for the better part of a year. There was an event today that took place at the White House, President Biden trying to push along the CHIP Act. And he surrounded himself virtually, of course. He was on screen by some White House officials like Brian Deese. Uh, even the deputy defense secretary was there. And but that's where we're going. This was framed as almost a national security event. He had the CEO uh, of Lockheed Martin, among others, there speaking. Jim Taslet talked about the national security aspect of of this semiconductor chip shortage that we're in right now, and the need to do more. Listen, because much of the production is in China and in Taiwan, access to be guaranteed for U.S. industry, including in defense industry, is fragile. You know, should China decide to withhold its production or inhibit? Taiwan from exporting its chips or, or building them, we would have a serious economic and eventually national security issue on our hands. And so given the long lead times for producing a, a fab and building the factories, it is important and urgent to begin to rebuild U.S. semiconductor chip manufacturing in the U.S. 
I find this interesting that, that the timing behind this event today, because it's something that we've talked about on the air quite a bit. We've asked Secretary Gina Raimondo about it when she's come on. We've even asked Pentagon officials about it that, you know, isn't this a major problem? We not only hear about washing machines and cars, but weapons systems, aircraft that the government, that the military needs and so forth. Uh, Jeannie, shouldn't the White House have, have done this from the beginning, taken this angle from the very beginning? They should have. And I give them credit, and I specifically give Gina Raimondo credit. I think she's done a masterful job helping move this through. She's even had the support of people like former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. You know, this Suddenly, is, you're right. Yeah, this is truly a bipartisan movement. I'm not surprised it just cleared. But the argument, and Chuck Schumer made it the other day, this isn't our benefit both financially and also from a national security perspective perspective it needs mm-hmm. to get done and so you're right they sh- they are making the right move doing this now could they have done it sooner sure but you know good they did it now well fair enough but my goodness there's already it takes a long time to get a foundry going here rick and intel has since the time this was negotiated uh what six months ago has delayed has, has postponed the groundbreaking on its on its big plant in ohio You've got Gina Raimondo talking about other companies being wooed by other countries. Uh, we, we didn't have to wait a year, did we? No, we didn't have to wait a year. Um, this administration lost momentum around this by putting other things like Build Back Better in their way. That turned out to be an abject failure congressionally. And so now they're turning after that failure to this as a play saver. This administration has to learn it has to do more than one thing at a time. Uh, Congress is able to process these things. This was a bipartisan bill. Mm. Uh, it could have gone through any time if the administration had turned its attention to it and worked it hard. And the idea that we've given up a year uh, to the Chinese, regardless of what it takes to build a factory, uh, makes no sense strategically. Well, I know Gina Raimondo, to, to, to Jeannie's point, has spent an enormous amount of time on this. It's just I don't know how many plates you can have in the air and, you know, pick one to be the priority here. Uh, I'd be curious to hear both of you, though, Jeannie, what what does it mean to have Joe Manchin out with covid right now? It's they've got another, what, two weeks in the Senate to play with to get this done, to get reconciliation done. Is that even possible? It's a lot on their plate. I think they can do it if they stick to doing things like this chip act, the things you can get through a 50 50 Senate. And I you know, it is tough to lose anybody. You know, that's that's always tough, especially with 50 50. I think they can do it. They may have to call the House back because they don't have much time before the August recess to get all this stuff through. Yeah. Well, we all know reconciliation takes forever, Rick. Is that even realistic to be talking about? Yeah, Without sure. Joe I mean, Manchin I th- in the House? I, I think they can rush it through if they want. Look, the only thing worse than having Joe Manchin is not having Joe Manchin. And and so, you know, if I were the administration, I'd have Dr. Fauci posted up on his you know doorstep, making sure he's got all the necessary <laughs> tools that he needs to ca- get through this as quick as he can. There's a lot of procedural activity that doesn't need his vote. But when it comes to yeah. final passage, he needs to be there. There you have it from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. A new week underway with always so much to talk about. Our signature panel on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll meet you back here tomorrow for more. Subscribe to the podcast if you showed up late. Bloomberg Sound On. We'll see you early tomorrow morning on Surveillance. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.